Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have a really incredible conversation. We're going to be talking about tracking your brand, tracking your brand across all of the media outlets, everywhere that your brand and your content is in order to look at things like your brand expertise, your trust score, and how does that actually impact your bottom line? And to do that, we have Neil Morrison here. Neil is the global head of measurement at Signal AI. And you wear a lot of hats, Neil, yeah. <laughs> right? But I think just as a little bit of a backdrop here, I just want to say that Signal AI, you work with four of the top 10 consulting firms in the That's world. Right. You work with some of the biggest brands in the world. You have a purview across all of your clients and industries in terms of what truly is the impact of the content and specifically the thought leadership content that a company creates, how you measure it, how you track it, and how it directly impacts bottom line performance and revenue. So with that, maybe give us a little bit more about your background and the company, and we'll get started. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Stephen. Really looking forward to this. I um I've been in the what we call, I suppose, the media intelligence industry for around 20 years now. Uh, and when I joined, it was it was quite a what we would call a cottage industry with about four or five different companies providing press cuttings to to our clients. So effectively, what would happen would be we would subscribe to all the media, we would bring that all in and it would literally be ironed and then scan through a computer and then cut sometimes by human beings um, and then sent, you know, the most common uh, delivery mechanism was putting, you know, a bunch of cuttings on the back of CEO's car, you know, car seat so that they were informed about what was happening to their business and their competitors, you know, before they got into the office. And, and you know, it's, it's grown massively since then you know um the the whole industry and 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 ai to a certain extent has has made uh, the biggest kind of shift in direction to our business in terms of just the sheer amount of data that we can provide and and make sense of for our clients and i think media has changed a huge amount over the last 20 years as well because it used to be uh, in the UK specifically, you had a very influential list of about 20 publications. Um, now, as their influence gets less, the influence of online, of digital, of social media just incre has increased. So anybody can be influential. And so anybody can impact on a company's reputation. So it's about identifying and understanding that. So I joined Signal and I've worked with Signal AI for about seven years now. Three years before that, like all good startups, they 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 were formed in a garage. Um, and their, their key their key aim was how can we use AI to kind of help business people make better decisions? Um, and, and what is a way of doing that? And then they looked at, you know, what is one of the biggest data sets out there, which is media data. And so how can we make sense of that? And so there's a gentleman called David Benningson and um, uh, Dr. Miguel Martinez. Um, Dr. Miguel was, um, you know, a, 
had a doctorate in artificial intelligence and really wanted to kind of use that um use that knowledge in order to in inform the formation of the business and came into the uh, media te intelligence industry about when I started seven years ago and and our key our, our key remit really for our clients is to get as much data as possible so look at global data sources look at um you know premium editorial content um take that content overlay our artificial intelligence then identify the kind of the, the the noise the signals within that content um what we call concepts so identify what companies people territories uh topics are mentioned within that within that content and then deliver to that deliver to that to our clients in in a useful way so not just um giving a whole bundle of data but actually process that data for them so that they can see that data in real time so if i if i look back 20 years ago when you had those 20 influential publications and most people would receive uh, a newsletter or a media alert in the morning and the next time they heard about the news really would be the next day um, so there was a whole gap in knowledge there, a whole day's worth of knowledge. Now our clients can receive real-time updates. So if you've got a crisis, something's happened, you can set up a search on a Signal AI platform and you can keep tracking that news event from there and be alerted to it through our automated bulletins on you know every time something influential is happening. So I think the AI has really assisted us in a hundred ways and i hope we get through 10 of them today to start discussing how you know how our clients are making benefit of ai because i think it's really important for cmos specifically to understand what what is available in terms of the data around the influence that they're having on the media so you talked a lot about and explained discriminative AI there, right? Yeah. Generative AI is all the rage, right? Like now are we going to be able to just create tons of fantastic content so easily and and all the pros and cons of that, which we don't need to get into here, but discriminative AI understand very much. It's about looking and seeing on a discriminative level, the important things that are happening and drawing that data and that knowledge to create the insights and help to help you drive your business. What made really good sense to me when we were first talking was the concept of overall the ability to build trust in your brand and expertise mm -hmm. in the marketplace and, and actually how you track that. In fact, you track a, a trust score. Right. Could you explain a little yeah. bit about this trust score and how it's applied? Yeah. So so just to go back a bit in terms of discriminative, discriminative AI, you know, contrary to popular belief, AI wasn't generated last November with uh, ChatGPT <laughs> um, and Signal AI have been working with AI and, and our own proprietary AI for at least 10 years now. Um, and so discriminative AI will take a piece of unstructured data and say it is about that or it isn't about that. And so we'll be able to identify things like, as I said, company names. So it will it be able to say this is about Apple, the company, not Apple, the fruit. 
Um, this is about shell the company, not shell what you'd find on a beach and quite simple stuff like that but what previously did actually take human beings to do um or quite complex boolean search strings which um a lot of people still use and i can understand why they add value but it still means you're at risk of missing stuff so what we would do we'll we will ask a a human being still human beings will be very important within you know the development of ai human being to read a certain set of data um, and to identify whether it does mention that company that topic that person and then we'll give the machine learning um, that set of data and then that machine will just go from there and uh, and identify that and I think the key thing is with such things as um, kind of opaque topics, such as sustainability, such as diversity and inclusion, um, when building um, a search in the old way for a Boolean search, you'd have to add in lots of lots of keywords, lots of terms, lots of phrases, and you would be at risk of missing lots of relevant content. Once we've trained the AI to understand if, a, in this instance, an article is about sustainability, it doesn't have to mention the word sustainability. It just mm -hmm. has to be about sustainability. So it's a really powerful piece of information, a piece of technology that we've got there. So once we then do that, we, we're able to then say for a company, you are winning the conversation within your sector around sustainability or diversity and inclusion. So it's about identifying where your strengths and weaknesses are as a brand um, and then understanding what to do about it. So I, I work with a lot of clients. And, and as you say, we work with four of the top 10 consulting firms. And, and one key thing that's massively important to them is the word trust. Or and it, it could be purpose, it could be all kind, it could be wrapped up in all different kinds of ways. But if you if you think about trust, trust is a is a, a key element of reputation. And reputation has a financial element to it. If and, and one of our um consulting clients that we've worked with has put a financial figure on how much trust impacts on their business, and it goes into the billions. Yeah, so it's it's a big number and, and it has a financial impact. So when we talk about CMOs having a, an impact on the overall business objectives, this is this is where you get to, you know, the, the nub of the matter. You know, it's it's something that we we can identify and build a strategy around using data that will have a massive impact on the viability of a business and the trust of a business and the reputation in the end. So if we look at sustainability as a topic, I would be, if, I, if, if I'm company X, I would be able to identify whether our, our message is strong around sustainability um, against my competitors. So are we winning the conversation? Um, and you might ask, why is that important? Well, everybody's making decisions around sustainability and ESG initiatives. I'm making a decision about whether I buy something because I'm an ethical consideration. Somebody else might be making a decision about whether they're going to work for a company because 
they're concerned with you know how they act you know ethically so if you're winning the conversation in the media where where most people kind of ingest their ideas and thoughts about a business if you're winning that you're more likely to hire the best talent or attract people to work with you from especially from a b2b point of view people will make those ethical considerations and anytime I sign a new contract, I have to sign up to things like modern slavery agreements or ESG agreements and sustainability agreements. So getting that message out there within the media is incredibly important and has a real tangible business impact. So we can identify where the strengths and weaknesses are. So that impact that you're talking about I want to take it beyond the level of sustainability and ESG, which are fantastic examples. Mm. You're talking about is establishing the overall reputation, the expertise of the company, right? And that lives in the world of thought leadership. And the media coverage, and whether it's online, on social, whether it's in major publications that you're talking about, you're talking about thought leadership content, right? Definitely. And that that has a direct impact to the point where you're saying that one company, literally, that their trust factor, they determined that that was costing them billions of dollars a year. Exactly right. So we're talking about the highest level of importance for a company because in today's world, the B2B buyers, there's somewhere between, depending on the industry, six months and a year long ABM cycles right? Mm -hmm. Where you're constantly trying to influence those buyers. And so your reputation and the way that you're creating that reputation is paramount. And then how then the salespeople can use that. But from your standpoint, from the purview of having across all your clients and all these industries and measuring trust factors, what is your opinion on the importance of thought leadership? And how it impacts the business. If, if, if I were a CEO or a CMO, it'd be the one thing that would keep me awake at night, especially, you know, we're, we're talking about B2B marketing here. And I think it's even more important because you've got to think about who your stakeholders are, who your potential customers, who your potential um, uh, clients, your potential, um, you know, employees are. Um, and, and all of that makes up business. So I, I would have it as probably a number one priority as a business to, to be um, establishing in thought leadership content because it says everything about the business that you are. Um, and, and, it's, and, and I think one way we help our clients is actually helping them target that thought leadership content so it doesn't just get lost within all of the other content. So AI is a great example of that. Everybody's talking about AI at the moment. So a lot of people would probably switch off to it to a certain extent and say, oh, that's another company saying they've got a bit of AI. Um, And actually, even if I think about that from Signal's perspective, we've thought long and hard about how we position ourselves from you know the experts in ai the people who've been working with ai for 10 years and that's why we do talk a lot about discriminative ai versus generative ai because it's different it's important for people to understand the full scope of potential with ai so 
if I'm one of my clients, we're always thinking about how do we identify the topics for thought leadership that are going to have the most impact for us? So we're, we're able to use our, our AI and we've got an algorithm that we, we were calling affinity, but now it's calling it topic analysis because it's a bit clearer. But effectively, what it demonstrates is what other topics bubbling up that you are talking about and your competitors are talking about. So these aren't predefined things that we want to be known for we want to be famous for this is what actually are we known for as a business and what areas within that do we own compared to our competitors and where are our competitors strong as well because i always remember i was talking to a big bank and i won't name the bank because because um, i probably shouldn't but i was talking to a big bank probably five years ago um, and they said, our CEO wants to be known, wants to talk about mental health. And we're really struggling with what messages we should get, you know, we should we should be helping him at the time with around mental health. And I said, have you done any data analysis of this to see what other banks are already talking about mental health? What are those subtopics that might be more of interest? And then so we, we actually looked at the data and and I could have told them there and then this is a bad time for a bank to talk about mental health because four of your competitors are already doing it. Um, it's, you know, it's lost its traction in the media. It hasn't got any velocity and it doesn't really have any sentiment as well. So we look at, you know, what else out there, what, what is the coverage out there about that topic at the moment? And what is your share of that? What if, is the sentiment of that? And is it worth you really talking about from a thought leadership point of view? So, you know, I, I think about a, a company we started working with recently, but looked at their CEO compared to the five CEOs that he or she, I can't remember, competes with. Um, and... What are those topics bubbling up? And we found AI. Everybody was talking about AI. So we would call them your kind of your battleground topics that kind of everybody's talking about. So you really do have to have a voice in. And then we distinguish between um, landmine topics, which are landmine topics, which have a really low sentiment within, within your industry. You should probably steer clear of those. But then we have these um, white space topics, which actually are, are getting a high sentiment, but very quite low volume, um, which are a real opportunity for you to talk about. So if you can imagine mental health itself, there could be a whole list of topics under mental health. So if the Guy, guy at um, the bank I was talking about just said, I just want to talk about mental health. We can then say, well, these are the five topics that nobody else is talking about within mental health. You might want to talk about neurodiversity, for example, and neurodiversity, nobody else is talking about. But when other sectors talk about it, it gets a high sentiment figure. And that's really key data because it moves away from tracking what has happened to actually giving you a probably a probability of success with with your media outreach in terms of getting coverage 
and then getting high sentiment coverage as well. I'm going to put a CMO uh, lens on this in the yeah. massive benefit of what you just talked about, because thought leadership drives the entire reputation expert, you know, reputation of the company. And it's what sparks new conversations, right? It's what opens up opportunities for the company to get in the conversations with buyers, you know, before they've already made their decisions. It's, it's so important. And I actually have a, uh, an upcoming podcast with a CMO. It's part of our series on why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly. Mm -hmm. And her entire point of view is it takes a long time to establish, but it's hard to do. Thought mm. leadership is really difficult. So because it requires expertise, subject matter expertise that sometimes lives totally within, but needs to be drawn from outside. So it takes a lot of work. And if you're spending the time and the effort to create thought leadership content, but you're not targeting the topics and the subtopics that are important, getting the right sentiment, you could be wasting a lot of time and a lot of effort. So you are channeling the strategy that every CMO that's listening here or CEO or CRO that's listening here today, you're helping them channel their efforts to create the right kind of expertise and trust. And that was my takeaway of what, of what you just said. Was that a good well, way to articulate it? I'm definitely going to have to record this and then I'll I'll use that in any future sales pitches that I do. That was a that was a perfect capture of it, I think. I think if I if I were a CMO and especially with um you know the challenges that CMOs have over uh, with budget, it's actually worth investing in the data to support decisions ahead of doing the work. And then hoping for the best, <laughs> which which is right. what happens a lot, um, and it still happens. You know, there definitely is years of experience that CMOs and communication, you know, chief communications officers will have, which where their gut instinct will work in a lot of instances where they say, "I know my business. This is the right thing for us to do," and we we don't discount that because you know there there are a lot of very talented people out there. Um, however, something a data that actually either confirms or contradicts your gut instinct is really useful. So I, I I often think that you know we we want to be targeted as much as we possibly can, and we want to use the small budgets that we have as effectively as we can. So if you can use data that tells you this is a higher probability of success and for you to be positioned in a positive way from a thought leadership perspective, that data is gold dust to a certain extent, and, that, and that's why our clients will invariably use us. Um, it used to be our clients would use us to tell us what had already happened. And I, I, I find that fascinating. And that's why I joined Signal AI, because I saw the, you know, the potential future of AI and how it could be utilized. It, it used to be media intelligence was telling you what has already happened. And, and a lot of my clients would say, well, I don't know if it's the same in in the US, but in the UK, they say that's kind of, you know, um, fish and chips wrapper by by the next day it's kind of it's old news and it and it's already happened 
But if, I always say the, the best predictor of the future is the past. Um, and we've got a lot of data about the past in terms of how other companies are leading in specific areas from a thought leadership perspective. And we can definitely give a kind of an idea about the probability of success based on that. And that's really exciting to be able to actually change the strategy of our clients and, and help, you know, inform that. Well, I'm going to put a word on top of that, that, that came to mind, as you were saying, it used to be about looking back and what mm. happened, right? Now it's more of a prediction or a forecast of what you can do to be successful. Sure. So if you were to talk to one of those CROs, right, or CIO or CEOs that you're, that you're talking with on a regular basis, and you were talking about what's the importance of the sales forecast in the company? Hmm. Well, an accurate sales forecast drives every bit of decision-making and how they allocate and plan for resources in the future. It drives the entire business. You're talking about driving the entire thought leadership, brand, trust, reputation aspect of the business by having an accurate forecast of what will do the best job. Right? Yes. So the idea of forecasting your thought leadership um, is a concept that doesn't get a lot of a lot of conversation. But if you put it in the mind of how important forecasting is, and I just talked to a CMO the other day who forecasts her marketing spend, and she has yeah. an entire model of how she does that down to conversion on every tactic that they use so that they can use that past to predict the future. Yes. I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm taking away from the conversation here. So we, we we've literally just worked with a client and I, I can't name names because it's in a quite a sensitive industry who came to us and said, we don't actually have a lot to talk about um, at the moment. There's not a lot going on. Um, and what we were able to do was to identify two topics within their industry that were on, on that kind of spectrum of being high not mentioned a lot with high sentiment and we said do you have anything around that <laughs> and then said well actually yes we could repurpose a lot of stuff we've already done to fit with that they increased their thought leadership content by 400 oh, percent just okay. based on that and that that's real kind of um impact of marketing but you're absolutely right every other part of the business forecasts and I think marketing and communications has been reliant probably too much on gut instinct because it hasn't had the data to accurately forecast. And that's where I think we come in now. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because that's what you want in a, a career, isn't it? To actually make a difference to how people operate and give them the data and give them the information that they need to do their jobs better and to make better decisions and, you know, that's where I get my job satisfaction when when we have examples like that. I think, wow, you know, imagine me 20 years ago, you know, um, almost cutting um, cuttings out of newspapers. And, and now we're here actually helping Fortune 500 companies make strategic decisions. You know, 
I know we could go on another hour or two, right? We, three or four. We three talked or four. about that yes. at the beginning before yeah. we hit the record button. But if I were to ask you, what is the one takeaway that you'd love to have the audience here remember from everything that we've talked about? If you could summarize it into a, a core takeaway, what would that be? Oh, that's a really good question. I think just understand how important reputation is to the business. And and I and I I, I understand that it is seen as an important element. Reputation, trust, purpose, whatever we call it, understand how important that is and the financial impact that, that can have on a business from hiring the best talent to to you know working with your buyers working with your clients working with politicians how that kind of impacts on your business and then understanding that there is data to help you improve that a reputation can change um and so i think it's just being aware that that data is around and not making decisions that are not data-led because I think the data is there to really inform those decisions now. And AI is helping with that. Um, it used to be that um, the data was a bit outdated and a bit unreliable. And I think AI has just got better and better and just much more useful. And is tar you know, if it's targeted in, in some of the ways I've spoken about today, I think B2B marketers, any marketer really, can make much more informed decisions based on data now. So I would ask people to really think about what, you know, not just do things because you think you should be doing things, do things based on data like a, a lot of us are now because of the amount of data that is available. And just as a reminder, all of that information that is building that reputation, building that trust factor, can be used all throughout the buyer's journey at every single stage. Absolutely. And salespeople are constantly looking to stay in touch, add value. You take snippets of all of that, and it's a continual nurturing sharing strategy. So it has very, very much impact into the entire pipeline development, mm -hmm. not just at the kind of the, the big brand level, which is so, so important, but we have to remember that it has very, very day-to-day -day tactical applications as well sure you know if if somebody had a question wanted to get a hold of you um would would linkedin be a great way if we put a connection to your profile yeah, linkedin linkedin is definitely the best way to get get a hold of me so yeah people please do reach out and i'm always happy to connect and and have any kind of conversation you know as i hope i've given the you know given you an idea of i'm i'm really passionate about this and really enjoy it so very happy to have any conversation well, fantastic. Thank you for coming you. and sharing and adding a whole nother level of insights to what we know we already need to be doing. Great stuff. Thank you, Steve.